Okay, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back. We had a fun show today. It uh, was a fun off-season preview of a good team. We don't usually get to do good teams. We've been starting from the worst record to the best record, so we're finally at a team that could potentially win 50 games. This was the Utah Jazz. We had the SLC Dunk contributors, uh, all that Amar and Michael Lohman joined Mike and I as usual. This is Ben. Mike is waiting to be talked to as well. Um, anyhow, we uh, we had fun. It was good. This, the predictions were strong. They have a deep team. We got to talk about the kind of the fun things that they're going to get into and Quinn Snyder and all those those good things. Mike actually has been predicting they'd be good for a while. So this kind of was a nice uh, coming together. Soon we have the Wizards. Uh, after the Wizards, we have the Bulls. So check those out coming soon. But as always, please, before you listen to this, subscribe, download, rate, review, all those good things on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you can download your podcasts on your phone and your computer, tablet, etc. Please do all those things. We appreciate it. It, it. it helps us go up in those ratings. More people can find us. And, and then we do we take your, 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 uh, your questions. So if you have uh, questions, tweet at us, please. That's at limited upside at limited underscore upside and then you also can hit up mike uh that is at mike Prada sbn that's on twitter as well if you don't listen to podcasts you don't know his email but you can hear it in this podcast as always that is uh mike Prada at sbnation.com so check that out as well shoot us your questions we always get to them and enjoy the utah jazz season preview on the limited upside podcast Okay, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and we are set to do probably our first good team, right, Ben, of this countdown, the Utah Jazz. And we're joined by Amar and Michael Lohman from SLC Dunk. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing great. Doing great. Awesome. Well, the Jazz are doing great, although last year I think was a little bit of a letdown. I think a lot of people thought after the way they ended the previous season, they had the number one defense uh, in the league after the All-Star break, expected big things. Instead, they end up a game out of the postseason. They don't make it. You see some kind of, honestly, some not-so-great teams make it in over them. So uh, the biggest reason... It, from a lot of people's perspective, is that they had injuries. Dante Exum was hurt. Rudy Gobert missed time. Derek Favors missed time. Was there anything other than the injuries that explains this team not reaching what the goal that a lot of people thought last year? Well, I would really like to blame this all on injuries, and you listed them out, especially with a lot of these guys missing time at the same time, but I think the Jazz kind of whimpered down the stretch. Like, if you're fighting for a playoff spot, you want them to be playing their best basketball of the season. We didn't see that. I think there was a distinct lack of ability of learning how to close games. I, I still remember there was this one game at home in Utah against the Clippers. The Clippers were sitting, I think, three or four of their best rotation players. The Clippers still ended up winning that game. And, like, <laughs> we, don't, we can't really go and talk about the playoffs if we're not even talking about finishing off the Los Angeles Lakers in game 82. I think they were up by 25, 30 points in that game. Oh, yeah, the, the Clippers game or the, the Kobe game? The Kobe game was the one that I'm talking about now. Like, if oh, they don't win, bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was a like, quick, I didn't think we'd get there so soon. Go for it if you want. Well, yeah, I, I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> if you are trying to make the playoffs, 
Right. You got to try a little bit harder than letting Kobe have his celebratory moment. I think if you look at Agreed. jazz teams from the 90s or 80s, that never would have happened. They would have done something a little bit more drastic to win that game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Go ahead. When you, when you look at uh, the past year, I think injuries are one thing, but um, it's what injuries prevented them from being able to do. And it's not necessarily the time that they could have been on the court, but because they were injured, it was like they ha- we had an additional 10 games or 15 games where they were just getting back up to speed, just, just to where they were. And, I, for example, Rudy Gobert, when he got hurt, it never felt like he was Rudy Gobert of the prior season. He still was able to be above average um, for uh, defensively, but it never felt like he was controlling the game on the defensive end like he did the prior year. It didn't feel like the Utah Jazz really gelled on defense like they did two years ago after they traded Cantor. Because mm-hmm. two years ago when they traded Cantor, they just were a defensive machine. And a lot of people pointed to Gobert and Exum, rightfully so. They they affected the defense a ton, but the sure. communication wasn't there. The way uh, the way they uh, rotated wasn't there, and they just and they got beat a lot of times just for miscommunication. So um, that that in in and of itself uh, threw it out. And then I'd also like to throw out the little known fact that there were, they were there. Hayward and Favors had two young ones at home that they just had. So I'm blaming on, it on You babies. can't make that excuse. I'm how blaming many, on how many, how many kids did Carl Malone have? A million? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a really good point right there. <laughs> uh, a different era, I'm sure. Um, but you, you mentioned, Amar, you mentioned the meek ending to the season. I think the one, the one game you talked about that would – there are two games that stand out to me. One was the one you talked about with the Clippers game where I believe Jamal Crawford hit a buzzer beater in that game. The Clippers were resting starters, and the Jazz still couldn't beat them at home. And then the other one that really stands out is the the second-to-last game, the penultimate game where they played Dallas, which was kind of basically a playoff play-in. And Dallas just whipped their butts. And it was, like you said, a really good illustration of, well, this team is really young, and they, did, they couldn't finish the job. And it you know, even with the way they were playing, they were still the favorites to take the eight seven seed, and they just couldn't. When the other teams had the experience and the know how to rise above, precisely. And the Dallas game, they got their butts kicked in that, as you pointed out. The last time that they played Dallas, Gordon Hayward hit that buzzer beater. So that's kind of like Utah needed to play a perfect game in order to beat a team that had been there before. And, right. You know, that's indicative of you know this is a young team. They haven't been together on the court as much as they should have been. And maybe they're actually a bit behind where they should be for how many years these guys have. Gordon Hayward going into his seventh year. Uh, Favors as well. Alec Burks into his sixth, even though he's probably played as much minutes as maybe a third year man. So, <laughs> like these guys, I love them to death, but I'm able to understand that it's not just all injuries. It's performance-based. Well, it's it's amazing how um, how the like how long sometimes it can take uh, for a player to break through or a team to break through. You have to give it that patience. But I would say this: there's a bunch of players who are entering their sixth, seventh year. We seem to get to a lot of these teams uh, right about now. Um, we were, we were previously we were talking about um, uh, Demarcus Cousins. Uh, we were talking about uh, Mike. Who, who was it? Uh, 
was someone in Orlando previously? One one of these guys, another superstar. Not that couldn't have been Orlando. Um, well, we were talking about Aaron Gordon, sort of in the prove yeah, time, but I, I'm not yeah, sure. Prove it time. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, the point is, uh, we'll get there with John Wall. The guys who are now been on their team, they're the staple of their franchise, but the franchise really hasn't gone that far yet. Um, that maybe the sum of what they think they are in terms of where they stand in the league really doesn't make them anything more than a, a good player on a. A bad, a, a bad team, a non-playoff team. Um, the point I'm getting to, though, is um, I guess what I want to get was a question, though, first and foremost. Do you think any of the off-season adjustments, and Michael, you can take this one, that they made are really going to help that finding defensive chemistry that we were just talking about? Uh, George Hill's a, a fine, a pretty decent uh, defensive point guard, but uh, Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw um, are far past their defensive playing at all days. So I'm wondering how that kind of gets meshed in to what's got a, a pretty deep lineup of a lot of guys who look somewhat interchangeable. And you have Rodney Hood, Hayward, Johnson, Ingles. Then you got Lyles, Favors, Gobert, Diaw. There's a lot of players to be playing who are, who are good. Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on sort of how those new guys blend in and then where you kind of see the depth chart. If you could kind of th- tell us about your projected starting lineup. Okay. Uh, well, with the new additions, what's great about the new additions is it seems like they are an archetype for what the Jazz wants their developing young players to be. Mm. Favors, Gobert, and Hayward already, you already know what they are. They're, they have their role, they know what they're going to do, and they know how they're going to execute it. But when you look at George Hill, you, would, you could take Exum, un, uh, he could take Exum under his wing and and if the coaching staff can point at George Hill and say, these are the things that we want to see you do as an oversized point guard. We want to see uh, these are the things that mm-hmm. we want you to be able to uh, work the pick and roll, how you are going to work with a lot of players who are really talented because the Jazz's as a starting lineup is going to be pretty talented. Yeah. Um, that, then you look at Boris Diaw and, and, I mean, if you wanted Trey Lyles to be Anybody you want him to be Boris Diaw, maybe with the better diet, but still, <laughs> I, I would hope so. <laughs> it was like you gotta let him, him live the good life. Yeah, yeah. It's just like basically follow him everywhere except with his Yelp recommendations. <laughs> so, so you say you're saying that that Trey Lyles should not use uh, Boris Diaw's espresso machine. Probably not. I mean, I mean, maybe they could they could share, and he can like go light or. Uh, or I will say that Lyles will have to have Tim Hortons as a Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> Get a couple of donut holes, eh? All right, right on. Yeah, yeah, hey. yeah. So, and then you got you got Joe Johnson, who if, for both Alec Burks and and Rodney Hood. You want them to emulate, and probably it might be a little too late for Alec Burks for you know to really. Use, mold himself into anything but still there's a ton so these guys are going to add a lot of experience but they know their roles that's the best part about adding them it's not like adding a young player and he's like gonna go out there and play beyond himself they just know themselves that's true so i I would say my my projected starting lineup if i was going to going to guess i would gonna i would actually say it's gonna be dante exum um i think joe johnson's gonna start out the year at at shooting guard because it oh, always yeah? just seems huh. to be when yeah the, because in Utah there just seems to be a thing if we have a, an uh, an over the hill veteran at shooting guard we're going to play him wait so you're gonna they're gonna bench Hayward or Hood I, I would be surprised by that 
Uh, I think I think Hood might might go back a little bit and then get worked back in. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised by that. That's my my prediction. Just to get just to set mm-hmm. tempo and then have Rodney Hood play uh, go a long distance into the first. Um, okay. I, I I do. I, and then Gordon, Then you have the the usual Hayward favors Gobert. But I I honestly think their starting lineup is not going to be set throughout the entire year. I think it's just going to be a game by game, and Quinn Snyder's going to going to rotate it and and play to match up mm-hmm. because that's what their strength is as a team is they can just completely adapt to every single team which uh, is a really unique ability to have so that's can, my can, prediction mike uh Prada, that is can you think of an example where a team rotated and didn't really set a, a true starting lineup and kind of just rolled with how they matched up with teams on a game-to-game basis aside from like a position potentially yeah, i don't know not not too much during the regular season i think certainly in a playoff series that's amazing versatility uh so like I said, I'd be surprised. I mean, I guess one argument you can make is that there, with between Hayward and Hood, there occasionally were sort of these, like who's the primary playmaker dilemmas, and maybe if you split them up, you can kind of let them both be. But I would be surprised if they both aren't starting. The one thing I will say, the addition I love that they made is George Hill. I think George Hill, one of the league's most underrated players, and. One of the things that really derailed the Jazz last year is just their point guard play was so bad once Exum got hurt. They were playing Raul Neto for a while. They had Trey Burke, who really had a really bad year. And down the stretch, I mean, Shelvin Mack played well, but he's still Shelvin Mack. And you saw that limitation, I think, at key moments in terms of the way he struggled to kind of maintain the tempo of the game. George Hill over all those guys is a big upgrade. And George Hill is yeah. a chameleon. He can play with anybody. He can play any role. I think his playmaking is really underrated. And so long as he's okay with kind of maybe t- taking a backseat if X emerges in his free agent year, I think that could be really a great tandem. I think that Mike is crazy. Uh, Mike Lohman. Uh, Mike, the host, is definitely on point here. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think Hill has to start. He's a great three and D guy. He's an experienced point guard. He's been a starter on playoff teams. He's been a starter on playoff teams that have advanced. And he's originally a Spurs guy, kind of like uh, Jazz GM Dennis Lindsay. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's more likely that we're going to see Hill start. The best case scenario for us Dante Exum fans is that Exum is somehow miraculously good enough. Uh, I think on Mm -hmm. the court, that's going to be great. I also think that off the court, these three additions, that's the real thing because these guys are all over 30. Mike already talked about what they're going to do on the court, what type of mentors they're going to be. But for me, the real issue is the biological clock of Gordon Hayward. He's going to opt out of his contract, and he definitely should because that's just the way that the market is right now. Utah has given him all the money. They have given him all the playing time. One thing which he hasn't been able to do professionally is say that, hey, I'm getting wins in a Jazz uniform. Right. These moves are to at least prove to him that, hey, we're, we're the front office. We are trying to win right now. So, you know, please let this next 12 months show how good that we can actually be. We'll, we'll get to defining the ultimate goal and, and setting expectations expectations if you will because that that that'll be at the end of this podcast once we've defined more because this is going right in the direction i want because then i want to know if we know the starters and kind of how we define that and amar I'll, I'll throw this back to you right away here um who's actually the best player on the team is it hayward 
in your opinion? Well, I, I was going to say Trey Burke until you guys killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mike yeah, would have seconded that. <laughs> I, I will say Amar is was the most staunch Trey Burke defender all of last year. <laughs> Till I die, yeah. So you, do you want to join my my favorite team's uh, fan group? You know, follow him <laughs> on my favorite team. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Got another that, one, Mike. To, to answer your question, I, I think overall the the way that it's it's a guards league or a wing players league, it has to be Hayward right now. Yeah. Though I do feel that all things considered. Derek Favors is a more talented player. It's just harder for a big man to display his worth unless you're getting the type of minutes that DeMarcus Cousin gets mm. on a high-paced team. Right, right. Favors has plantar fasciitis. They've been looking at his minutes the entire, every year after his second year, and the right. team plays at a very slow pace. And he's not getting the ball like Carl Malone usually. So it's hard to know no. that he's actually better than Hayward. Yeah, yeah, the hard thing about Derek Favors is if you were to say who is the most complete player on the team, he's it. He can he can affect a, a game defensively, he can control a game defensively, and he can uh once if he can get going and there's a a point guard in a Jazz uniform who can who can work with him, he can really he can really dominate a game on offense. The hard thing about that is his type of contribution is being marginalized in today's NBA. And then it was marginalized for the past two years with terrible guard play. But as far as the one who is going to make the biggest impact, though, uh, on a night-by-night basis, it is going to be Gordon Hayward. Yeah, so this is interesting because I think you guys have identified the two kind of most consistent players in the team, the best perimeter player and the best kind of all-around interior player. But you could also make an argument that Rudy Gobert is the most significant game-changing talent on the team when he's healthy, mm. and that Rodney Hood has the most upside. So this team is I thought is you were going to go with Hood. I thought Hood was going to be your answer, Mike. I know you like him a lot. I do, and he's not there yet, but you can see what... He's close. <laughs> yeah. Defensively, I think he's a little weak, but offensively, I mean, he's 6'9". He has vision like a point guard. I mean, he's just... An, he's a pretty great pick-and-roll player already. Yep. He can just pull up over anybody. If he's a little better as a shooter and a little bit better defensively, he could, he could be an all-star. So, I mean, that's four guys right there. And then you talk about how the depth of the team that you've mentioned. They're, they're arguably three deep everywhere. I mean, you, a point guard, which is a weakness last year, you've got Hill, who's solid. You've got Exum, who's has a lot of upside, and Mac is still there, and as a third point guard, that's pretty good. On the wing, you have Hood and Hayward, but you also have Johnson and his experience. You have Alec Burks, uh, and then up front, you've got uh, Favors, uh, Gobert, you have Trey Lyles, you have Boris Diaw. I mean, this team... Hey, Ingles? Yeah, I actually like Joe Ingles. Ingles, slow-mo Joe! He's good! I think Joe Ingles is pretty good, too. So, this team is loaded, and one of the things I actually think is going to be really interesting to figure out is not necessarily who's starting, but who is in the rotation. I mean, these guys can't all play. So who I might, but either of you guys, like who is the odd man out here? Like who are the odd men out and how are they going to feel about being on the fringes of the rotation? That's what I worry a little bit about. I, I honestly think it's going to be Alec Burks, Alec Burks for the past. I, I mean, two, three years, it, basically his whole career has been thrown to like, the the peripheral with Tyrone Corbin, he was constantly in the doghouse and couldn't get minutes. Um, then when he finally was able to be let free, 
uh, because we had a free Alec Burks movement for who knows how many <laughs> how many years. <laughs> just just let it proper let, wanting proper free yeah. Alex Burks movement. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just had to get that in there. <laughs> uh, uh, but he finally got his minutes, and then he got injured. You know, he hurt his shoulder, and then that affected how he came back. And then uh, uh, and then and then he was. Uh, but he never had surgery on it, so he was still playing with it, and he wasn't quite the same. So he never took the the leap forward. And him playing with a hurt shoulder hurt his game because he, you know, he drives aggressively to the paint. He gets he 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 gets to the line often, so he wasn't doing that as much. And then then he got and then when the last season he got hurt again. So I'm wondering just because his amount of development time has been so limited. That if he's going to find himself on the peripheral, just because on the periphery, just because he he he's doesn't know he he doesn't have a defined role of what what he could be. He he's he's still trying to discover it actually at the NBA level because he's just never given the chance to. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, he looks like to me the guy that's sort of on the odd man the odd man out because you'll recall early last year the Jazz would run out that. At crunch time, that three-wing lineup of Burks, Hood, and Hayward go without a point guard. And it was a very effective lineup. But now you have Hill, who's just as big as Burks. You've got Exum coming back. There's less need of Burks to be kind of the third wing in that rotation. So I agree. But even up front, and this is another – I, I want to we, – we get some questions. And this is one that I thought was really interesting from the community that was uh, talking a little bit about sort of how the front court works out and – I think this has ramifications throughout the roster. This is from Wasatch Blues. Uh, how do you think the Jazz will match up when other teams go small? Is do they will they stay big with Favors and Gobert, or do you see them going small more often, whether with Trey Lyles or with playing four wings? Yeah, I definitely think that Utah definitely has something they've never had before with this death. They can definitely match up against anyone. Will they match up with other people, or will they force the fact that they have two big guys? I think they're going to have to take that on a game-by-game basis. I love the idea of more people playing a stretch wing, stretch power forward situation. And I think we're going to see Joe Johnson there this year. Hopefully, Gordon Hayward gets some minutes at the floor. It's going to be a really awesome team of length and versatility on defense, and I think that's what's going to defend. I mean, that's what's going to define these matchups more than saying, hey, we have talented bigs. Let's play them because Jeff Withy couldn't even get off the paint last year. Yeah, it, it, what's what's crazy too is the question is: Will we go small and put Trey Lyles, a six foot eleven power forward, out there? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's just nuts. Trey Lyles, I, I swear the Utah Jazz are like, who's the second best player on the best team in college basketball, and we'll have him. And that's how they dra- have drafted the past few years with Rodney Hood and then with Trey Lyles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I, they have this, this hyper-athletic power forward in Trey Lyles who can go out there. And Derek Favors has shown that he can guard, he can guard out to the perimeter too in, in limited stretches. And so, I, I mean, they can really impose their will and just be like, well, you guys want to go small, that's cool. And if, But the, what they've never had in the past, and Amar hit on that, is – They've never had the ability to be able to be like if if it's not working to be able to alter that strategy, or they could even force force it to uh, force going small and just be like, hey, we're going to go small, and and that's that's actually an advantage they have with Trey Lyles and Boris Diaw. 
So it's it's crazy. It's a, it's a crazy thing to think about. It's a good dilemma to have that type of depth, uh, you know, around your lineup. And and I think you mentioned uh, earlier. I don't mind the idea of kind of having a nebulous starting lineup if it's a couple different players. Assuming you have the same starting point guard and you know Hill and Hayward per se and Gobert. So if you know you're plugging and playing two guys, maybe that's you're going to start favors too. So then I guess you kind of. As I'm talking myself they're into this, they're almost too loaded. <laughs> yeah, they're all I mean, good players. You just, you just think about yeah. like who, who of this, this in this rotation are you going to sit? You know, and it's it's a great problem to have, but it's also like I wonder. I think that some fans would say that the Jazz sort of cost themselves some games with maybe poor big small decisions late down the stretch, and then last year that was sort of the the difference between them missing and making the playoffs. And I wonder with all these options, like they can do anything. So what are they going to be? I, I, It's a great problem to have, but it's something I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Like which guys are going to be out of the rotation and how are they going to feel about it? I think is a really interesting question uh, to kind of think about this year. Prater, remember when I predicted that Lyles was going to be the one of the sleepers of the draft uh, in our limited upside draft preview from you did. two years ago? Yeah, you yeah. did. Uh, he's, he looks good. And, yeah. I'm actually really curious too about Exum. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, oh, for sure, Mike. You're saying you think he's going to start? Like, I mean, what? okay. I, I need to preface that. I think Defe- he's going to. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be starting 25 games in. So opening day lineup is going to be Hill. But um, I think 25 games in, they're going to have the stretch because my defense on Exum and Amar knows this. I'm the biggest Exum fan out there is the Utah Jazz, when they had Exum and Rudy Gobert in that starting lineup, they had a near-historic defense. Not, not he just also like, made oh, Gobert hey. better on offense. Mm. Yes, yeah. he did, because he throws amazing lobs. Um, he'll, he'll, I mean, with, with Roy Hibbert, who has a, a vert of like six inches, you know, he <laughs> didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> but, but still, like... The, Exum and, and Gobert had really great chemistry on offense. Um, and Exum showed flashes in that summer league before he had that fluke injury. He just looked good. There was a game where he was where him and Marcus Smart were going back and forth on each other, and on defense, Marcus Smart couldn't 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 control him. Right. And and uh, and the the hard thing for Exum on defense was just nobody was they he didn't have the rest of the Utah Jazz defense there. But I mean, you could say the same thing for Smart. But when they were on defense together, that's that's the thing that's the best part. Like on defense, Exum was near near elite on defense, which is nuts for a rookie. But because he doesn't have these flashy offensive moments, people are like, "Well, he's struggling. He's not, you know, he's not finding himself." And it's just like, "Hey, if." If you can have a defense that is allowing only 92 points a game, uh, yeah, you're going to take that. And yeah, they play it play at a slow pace, but man, nobody could score on them after they traded Cantor. Nobody sure. could. So okay, so we're, everyone's pretty high. I think decidedly optimistic times right now in Salt Lake City. I think it's one of these times where. The roster's in a good place. We talked about Hayward being in that pivotal seventh season, right? Um, kind of not make or break, but make or break in terms of this Jazz team has expectations, and definitely the highest of his professional career, the team he's leading, um, per se, or he's the face of. Um, but what what could derail this team if something were to go wrong? And I hate to have to like even mention that, and we should preface this with: I hope nothing does. I mean, what, what what do you think that possibly could be? And, and then, I mean, how worried are injuries. you about that? 
outside, yeah, sure, sure. Outside of like uh, a bad injury, that we're not going to try to predict here. But like actually from a roster not working out or, or, or concerns about how they match up potentially with the other teams they'll be fighting with to actually be in that flow of the playoff teams uh, this season. Yeah, I think that there's a, a big thing. It's a double-edged sword to have all of this talent, especially mm-hmm. when, when it's not like we have a bunch of all-stars who are at the end of their careers because this is a mixed sure. match of guys who are still theoretically in their physical peak. Like we already talked about Alec Burks being the, the odd man out or, or Jeff Withy not being able to get off the bench because even though he's the second-best center on this team, this team is going to go smaller and smaller. Right. So um, I, I think the main thing is going to be that some of these people may be unhappy, and that's something which Utah has never had to deal with because Utah's always had maybe one or two all-stars and a bunch of guys who really should have just been happy to be in the league. Now, <laughs> this year it's going to be different because George Hill effectively in a contract year. Rodney Hood, he's still on his rookie contract. Gordon Hayward opting out, he's in a contract year. Derek Favors, hopefully he's getting an extension this summer. Same with Rudy Gobert coming up next month. Dante Exum needs as much minutes as possible because he missed an entire season. Alec Burks missed uh, two-thirds of, the, of last season and one-third. And his career. Yeah, <laughs> and his entire career. Joe Johnson is locked in for two years, and that's fine. Boris Diaw is in another contract year. Uh, Shelvin Mack in a contract year. You know, it's, right. it, it, it's, this is going to be a challenge for Quinn Snyder that... Tyrone Corbin or Jerry Sloan never had. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big thing. It actually leads uh, to one of the questions, again, that we got on the site. Uh, you can send us questions for the show. You can email me at mikepreda at espionation.com. You can tweet at our account at limited underscore upside. Or in this case, you can go right to the comments section of your favorite espionation community and ask. And this is from Ham Fist, and I think this is a relevant question to what Amar just talked about. You know, how how good a coach is Quinn Snyder? I mean, it's a really he, he he asked it more is is Snyder a good coach? You know, I mean, Mike, do you think how good a coach is Quinn Snyder? He's he's a fantastic coach. I think though getting into that that doesn't mean he's without his mistakes and he's not learning. I mean, it, with him this is this will be now his his third his third year now and he's starting to uh get control of it. I think last year, going back to a prior question to answer this one, when we talked about um, kind of what, what was the reason that the we, Jazz didn't take a step forward as much as they could last year, that was a little bit on Quinn Snyder too. Um, those decision, uh, Making those decisions at the end of the game, it's a young team. They're looking at their coach uh, to know sure. how to execute. And, uh, there, and he, there he's not exactly times. old either. This is not like no, no. He's the wise no, sage he has, back there that you know has, has all these files. <laughs> fantastic head of hair. Fantastic, fantastic head of hair. Yeah, and a very, very uh, good mean mug as well. <laughs> yes, yes, mean yes mug, he yeah. does. I, I still very think one of my favorite Quinn Snyder stories is like he called a timeout and just stared at him. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's clock management one hundred and one, right there. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. If I have thirty second timeout, I'm going to call it just to bean mug my own team. So the it worked, but it, it worked too. <laughs> but the the thing with Quinn Snyder is he is he is just almost dictator like when it comes to the details. He is he is a fanatic when it comes to the fundamentals. He's an amazing development coach which has been perfect for this team for the last two years because they've been so young. 
the the key with Quinn Snyder this year is are they is he adept now at handling a team that has uh, veterans along with these young players and moving from development to moving to compet- you know actual expectations and competition. And so that's going to be the, the thing that we're watching about with Quinn Snyder this year is, is can he make that transition of keeping the team chemistry well because there, now there's a whole new dynamic. It's not a college feel anymore. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an NBA team feel now. I'm also excited to see what he does with the offense. We've been kind of basing Quinn Snyder on his like welcome back Cotter remedial defense. Like his first training camp, about eighty percent of it was just defense because they didn't learn anything under Corbin. And his second training camp, it was still about sixty percent defense. Now into his third year, we're finally going to see some of his offensive playbook emerge. And that's one thing which we keep hearing about in the exit interviews that these guys, even guys like Shelvin Mack who had played under him in Atlanta, like they were not even using the full offense, just the, like the bare bones stuff because the players were not smart enough basketball-wise to be able sure. to run what he wants. So that's well, going to be interesting. Well, let me follow you right up with that. We have a good tweet here um, from Justin Zovas. Um, Mar, you can take this one because you're already kind of hitting towards it. Uh, why did the Jazz play so slow on offense last year? And why, uh, I'm sorry, and will that change this season? You were just kind of hinting towards you think it's going to be different. Tell us why. Yeah, uh, first of all, they played slow on offense because they hate you, Justin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, bud. Well, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe Justin, if you had asked us a question a little bit sooner, then Quinn Snyder would have pushed the pace. Yeah. Exactly. You held them back. It's not on them. It's not on them. <laughs> Actually, I think it's about defensive stops. If Utah is able to consistently get defensive stops, we are mm. led to believe, via the 1980s Showtime Lakers, that you can you know, pick up the pace after that. Utah hasn't done that. I think the other thing is that they do have a very deliberate offense. There isn't a star player on offense. There isn't a transcendent talent. And as a result, they need to be crafty. And that usually means all of these excessive dribble handoffs around the right. perimeter, trying to get that mismatch, and then trying to attack after that. It's a very deliberate, uh, it puts the other team to sleep. It's grit and grind on offense, which I don't think we've seen before. I noticed with, uh, with, their, with the slow pace, I don't think it's changing. It's, they will be this, probably the slowest pace team in the league next year. But it plays to their advantage, too. I mean, if they're a really good, strong defensive team, that means you can limit possessions. And that means you can start to make uh, – the reason teams want more possessions is that you get more chances to score. And so with that, with that very strong defense, if they can go back to the way they were after that all-star break, that allows for statistical craziness to happen because somebody, a team like the Warriors can't return, can't return back to the mean. Uh, so they can get shut down, and by the time they start heating up, it's too late because you've you, you're limiting those possessions that they can have. So I guess it's like the 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 anti seven seconds or less. And yeah. Kind of talk to, because it, no, that's no, a great no, selling point. If you're going to yeah. do it, go all the way. So right? what is it like? Is that like twenty seventeen seconds or more? Would that be like kind of the inverse? It's like twenty eight seconds plus or minus. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know what the, the rating is for this podcast, so I will, I'm just going to hold off on making a sex joke there. <laughs> we appreciate your restraint. So, but but uh, I, I have talked about this in a few of my other posts where 
where they're they're going to a the whole NBA is kind of speeding up. And really the NBA is about finding the matchups that work for you and not a lot of not a lot of teams are are in that slow pace anymore. And and you could say well that's a really bad thing or you can say from a, str- a strategic point there's a, there's something to be had here because teams now won't be used to playing that way. That was that was a lot of the allure of the 7 seconds or less was you're you're rushing teams that aren't used to playing that way. And now that a lot of teams are becoming that way, now if you push them back to the other side of the ball and slow it down, you can start to disrupt a, a lot of these teams that just don't don't practice that way. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe. Uh, it's, it's almost hard to tell because they had no point guard last year. And so yeah. it's sort of hard to, to know. But you're right that their offense is so much like kind of passing through some of these motion reads and all these automatics. They threw a lot of passes. I think they were like lit, led the league in passes per game or way up there. But they didn't throw a lot of like productive passes. They were kind of just like tossing around to set stuff up. And it it would kind of bug me a little bit, but there is maybe some logic there that you're tapping into. I think this year will really be the test of that. Uh, I don't recall them being like super efficient, like at the end of a shot clock relative to the average. Oh, no, they're not. So I'm not sure. I mean, that would be what the logic to kind of like take the air out of the game would be like, if you're really good at the end of a shot clock and I'm not sure they're that, I think that actually really manifests itself in crunch time a lot, by the way, we didn't mention this stat, but I believe the jazz were the third worst and had the third worst net rating in the NBA in the last five minutes of games within five or more points. They were negative 18 throughout the season. Wow. That explains the record. That, that explains a lot. And I think, you know, to talk about, to take us back to Quinn Snyder, a lot of people around the league really say great things about Quinn Snyder, how prepared he is, how, how uh, detail oriented, how, how nice his offense looks. If that clutch that does not change, and I know that they don't have like that kind of go-to guy at the end of games necessarily. I mean, they kind of run the Hayward clear-out offense, and he's like occasionally gets it done. It doesn't. If that stat continues to dog them, I think then you still need to start asking questions about like, is all this stuff that Quinn Snyder is doing productive? Whether it may look pretty on a clipboard is one thing, but I'm looking at that stat to see if it translates onto the court. Cause I think that's the big test uh, question uh, for off the court. Uh, Amar for you, who, who's going to be your Joel Embiid on the jazz? Oh my God. I, I got to say it's, it's who's, who's going to be your Joe off the court it's, social yes, media it's Joe superstar. Ingles. It's Joe Ingles. He, he, he like another player will tweet really? or post something yeah. on Instagram or, um, or just on Twitter and Joe Ingles will go out of his way to insert himself into whatever's happening and make fun of that guy for it. Like Good someone will say, Oh, I'm having this, you know, salad. And then he'll say salad is for wimps or something. But, but can we point out that Joe Ingles, he, it's not like the normal, like make fun of it's like your dad embarrassing you on social media kind of humor. Plus uh, a level yeah. of, of foreign exchange because he's, He's a little bit out there. Is, is, nice. he, is he good with, does he have like dad jokes, like dad puns? All day. Okay. I like him already. But he's kind of just like an Australian Fredo. <laughs> <It's perfect. laughs> I like him already. This great. Like, he, I, he, just, he comes sliding into the replies. Like all of a sudden, and, and the funny thing is because he doesn't have a lot of followers, it, you could just go through replies and you wouldn't, and you would have missed him. And so, hmm. and so that's, what's so great about it is, is he's not well followed, and so he's like catching on. So it's just like somebody's dad, like 
peeking in through through like you know, on their social media, being like, "Oh, what you say about that?" It's perfect so, uh, life imitating art, or et cetera, it, however that goes. Yeah, <laughs> he has two. Art. He has two twins, so he's going to be up very late. Right. Random times, he's going to be searching his phone, and he's going to have dumb things to say. I, he's definitely the breakout star on social media. Perfect. Uh, he's got a long way to go in my mind to catch up to Rudy Gobert and his Twitter Twitter feed. I'm very amused by it. I mean, there's it's a long haul. There's Joel Embiid at the top of the social media world, um, and then there's everybody else currently. Uh, and now we have fulfilled our contractually obligated mentions, <sighs> so we can now move on. <laughs> um, we're getting to the Wizards next podcast, I believe. Yes, so everyone, everyone can we'll get our Wizards uh, in there as well. But we should get to the final predictions, right? Give you guys an opportunity to actually. Tell us how good the Jazz are going to be this year. We just did 45 minutes about why they're going to be good. Let's see how good they're, they're going to be. Um, Amar, you can start first, and then Michael, you go second. Give us, uh, give us what your predictions are for uh, overall record for the season uh, and where they end up. Do they win a playoff round? Stuff like that. I think it's reasonable to expect them to... I'm going to answer it in reverse order. I think making the playoffs definitely is a must this year, especially if they want to keep Gordon Hayward in a mm-hmm. Utah Jazz jersey. I would want them to be as good as possible. I think it's likely that they could be a sixth seed, hmm. uh, plus or minus two on either side of that. And um, it's not likely that they're going to be a, you know, taking the fourth seed, but six is all right. Six is okay with some of the injuries that may happen to other teams and all the injury karma that Utah already has developed. Certainly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Winning games, 50 would be a nice target, but that would be 10 plus from last year. I kind of went on a limb earlier this summer and said maybe 54 wins. I'll stand with that because I don't mind being wrong. Okay. Wow. Okay. I like getting out there. Go ahead, Michael. I, I, I actually had him at the, at the five, at the five seed for the playoffs. If we're going to go in the reverse order, like Amar did, um, it just seems to be with the, the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer teams that just seem to be the, the right fit for Utah. They're always in that four to five spot. But looking at the teams, I think that they're going to, just because of their depth, I think they're going to be able to stay competitive all year long. And be even if there are injuries, they have players who can come in and step up. So I, I think they'll be able to go. I, I have them at 52 wins. I think there are a lot of teams that were in the, in, in the playoffs last year that, aren't, or that are going to be kind of slipping in, in, in talent. And I kind of think uh, we're going to have a more, uh, we're going to have a bigger middle class in the Western Conference. So I think hmm. that... That 52, win, 52 wins is going to be about what it takes to get there. And it's going to be, I think it'll only be like, there's going to be the Golden State Warriors and then there's going to be everybody else separated by a few games. Okay. I mean, by point differential, they were the fifth best team in the league last year. Yeah. I mean, they, uh-huh. I mean, they're only four games out. So I share your optimism. Like, I think if they, I think they can be the five seed. They maybe can be the four seed. Like, I mean, they, they're not that far off. And no. And so What's that, 12 games, 12, 14 game improvement. Is that? Yeah. But I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm not worried about their ability to finish games. That's right. What, yeah. What I, straight up pointed out. So that's, and, and, and maybe this is just like, because we've seen how they've been the last four years. But when I look at the beginning of their schedule, I'm like, Oh my gosh, a road trip. And I like, I still look at, look at them through the eyes of the team they've been. I mean, like, oh my gosh, that road trip. We're gonna be lucky to get away with like a couple wins, right? And so, right. Uh, so I, I mean, you have to see it first to believe it. Yeah, honestly, that very first road trip of Utah, we're gonna know what what they are right right then. Whether they're a team that's gonna be scrapping for that seven or eight, or if they if they go on that and 
and are confident throughout the whole thing, then then that's the team that's going to be a you know four or five seed. Right. Yeah, we've got this to to look even further ahead. I mean, we talked about this here, but we got this question from a number of folks, kind of asking. Looking like you guys have said that this is a deep team, maybe without that marquee one star. We've gotten this from a few people. Like, is this team sort of destined to kind of be in that like pretty good but not good enough stage for a long time where they're always in the hunt? They're kind of like maybe the Grizzlies. They're always in the hunt. They're always hanging in, in the, around the top seeds. Maybe they get to a conference finals or two, but they're never really the, can break over the hump because they just don't have that one guy. Do you guys think that may happen, or will it be better or worse? It's very likely that that's going to be what happens with the Utah team until they get a star player. We saw that in the playoffs. The teams that actually have that A1 guy, they're the teams that are advancing. And, mm. you know, it, it, the other thing is that, like, it's just a lot of, there's a huge glut of similarly talented guys on this team. And, you know, that works if you're playing rugby, but that doesn't work if you're playing basketball. Uh, I think I think the hard thing, but I think I think they'll be a little bit better than the Grizzlies, but they are missing that. If you're going to look at their team, the only player that really has the ability to kind of rise above just by raw talent right now is Dante Exum, but that's maybe three or four years out if he even gets there. What about Fid- Lyles? Maybe Lyles. Lyles, Lyles. I mean, possibly, but uh, but I'm still not sure if that's. I mean. Because if you if Lyles becomes better, then that displaces other talent. So is it how much are you actually gaining right there? Right, is right. it just a little bit? It's a tricky plus minus situation of what ingredients equal the actual best formula. Right, it's going right. to be a process. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little less. I think 50 wins. I think a 10 game improvement is a lot when you're at 40. Number one and number two, I think there's going to be a little sacrificing of games potentially in the first 20, 25 in finding those right mixes. So maybe that'll hedge a little bit of what could be a 54-win team at heart. 54 is a lot. I think they can get to 50, though. I mean, you see how they started the year last year with no point guard, and then they had the Gobert injury really early, and then they had just as Favors was starting to play really well, he got hurt, and he missed a bunch of time. They never got a rhythm. I mean, they can't. It can't have been any. It can't be any worse in terms of the whole getting a rhythm with the totally. parts than it was last year. And so that's true. I mean, the real they just have to clean up the end of games, and we'll have to see if that's a fluke or if that's a, a kind of a bug in the system. You know, because again, talent wise, they should have been the five seed, and they had the point differential of a five seed, and they had a much better point differential than any team below them for the five seed. I mean, they. Mm. They were a plus one six, and the Blazers were a plus oh six. So they were they were a better team. It's just that they lost. They were fourteen twenty eight in games decided by five points or less in the final five minutes, and that's that's that. And so I think that's a blip. But for the most part, although I think in the playoffs that will matter, they're just their late game offense is just so tough to watch. So if they can get to an average clutch performance or even slightly below average, I think they can get to fifty wins. Like I, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I feel better about them than like Portland or Same. Uh, even Oklahoma City. I think I feel better than them. better margin for error. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with that. I I think the talent thing is a huge plus. Even if it could be a negative down the line in the next off season, like instead of playing Chris Johnson, they're going to be playing Bill Johnson. <laughs> the wrong Johnson. But but also I think a lot of the reason that they 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 fell asleep at the wheel during the last like few you know couple minutes of a game is they were just tired. 
I mean, uh, with the injuries, man, they, you had Hayward. I think Hayward's had the – he's ran the most miles out of, out of player, Or he's in top – he's top five, I believe, if you look over the past three years. Hmm. And so yeah, – That's a good point. And so, I mean, he, they just got tired by the end of it. And players who – I mean, it, it's easy to, to blow the last two minutes if you got Chris Johnson in there. Like – it's, <laughs> he's not it's a closer a, per se, or, or, or Shelvin Mack, like or yeah. George Mack. Hill. You don't, you yeah. don't want to have or like Jeff two Whippy. fifths of a Butler of like a mid-major starting lineup. Not that <laughs> Hayward's not a bad player. Like, like for the past, like for the past, like three years, anytime there's like a D leaguer who gets signed by another team, I can I can, I know who they are because they played for the Utah Jazz. Dude, you're talking I'm, I'm, to a Sixers fan. I I I'm have a D league team. They're called the Sixers. <laughs> Like we're like we're co- like we're looking at who they're getting for the Salt Lake City Stars. I'm like, oh man, he's a pretty good guy. There, I should not know that. Yeah, yeah. You never want to know your farm in a sport where there's only like twelve <laughs> farm teams and thirty real teams, <laughs> and and fifteen roster spots. Yeah, right. right. Fifteen total roster spots. That's true. That's true. Pray, did you have any other any other uh, questions? Twitter questions that we didn't get uh, to? I think we got to them all. This was this was fun. I, I'm excited that we did a podcast for a good team. I'm <laughs> excited to to watch the Jazz because I think it'd be great to have another good team that sort of doesn't play. The Warriors style. I, I'm, I was really upset that we didn't get Jazz Warriors in the first round last year because I think that would have been a fascinating series. So I'm excited to watch the Jazz grow. I think there are some pitfalls personality-wise and some of the – I'm still not all the way there on Quinn Snyder's coaching. I, I see reasons to be excited. I don't necessarily – I'm fully on board yet. I need to see a little more. But I think they're going to be really good and really interesting to follow. So Amar and Michael Lohman, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um we will come up next with uh, uh, some middling Eastern Conference team of some kind. <laughs> Yo, way to undersell your. We got to pitch this hard. This could be our biggest podcast of all time. Oh, um, this one. Wait, wait. wait we're, we're, these guys are right here. They're, I'm just. I, I mean, sitting right here. This, this is this is this is obviously a big podcast. It's always important uh, that we do our good teams that are actually going to be good. But I think the Wizards are a controversial team when it comes to uh, the limited upside podcast. So. No, no shame on any of the podcasts we've done so far, uh, from the Sixers up until here with the beautiful uh, the Utah Jazz uh, and our awesome uh, Salt Lake City community. Um, Amar and Michael, any last parting words? Anything else we should be checking out on your website? Appreciate you guys coming on. Oh, well, yeah. We would have loved to have had playoff games as well to write about. But uh, <laughs> I, before I bow out and give it to Michael for the final shot, because this is me being the guy who passes, um, be sure to bring me back for the Wizards to talk about Trey Burke. All right, thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a Shelvin Mack pass with with nothing left to go from. So, uh, so <laughs> 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 but uh, no, yeah, ch- check out check out the site. We'll have good content. We'll actually be might actually write about wins this year. So that will be fun. Fifty of them, maybe fifty more. Who knows? Fifty-two. Yeah, fifty-two, 52. wins that we might be able to break down. Yeah, at a minimum, 52. No, I really appreciate you guys coming on for sure. Um, and this, these optimistic, positive podcasts are a lot of fun uh, to do. So um, definitely, thanks for coming on. Preda, as always, a wealth of knowledge. Hope you're doing okay, buddy. We never get to record in the same studio anymore. So over Skype, you know, we, we get this done late at night now. 
I'm in my little studio closet here in Brooklyn. Pray to, what are you, in Queens? We cover in two different boroughs, right? Yeah, we got to do a Periscope one or Facebook Live <laughs> from your from your recording studio over there. There's literally no extra room. I think that that would be great. Yeah, I, I'm sitting on my old medical chair from when I tore my Achilles <laughs> so I can have all kinds of great memories uh, as I sit here and, and talk about basketball, the sport. I can no longer physically play, but until next time, Limited Upside Podcasts.